Introducing Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer. Blending the smooth, creamy nitro taste of Guinness with hints of coffee, chocolate, and caramel. Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer, your new favorite part of the day. Look for it where Guinness is sold. Must be 21 and over to purchase. Please enjoy responsibly. Diageo Beer Company, New York, New York. Today on Not Sam Wrestling, Alex Levine from the Gaslight Anthem talks about the current state of wrestling and just being a wrestling fan. We've got a lot to talk about as we build up to WrestleMania. And uh, did something happen last night in that exploding ring match? This is Not Sam Wrestling. This is Not Sam Wrestling. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Oh, how are we all doing? Happy Monday. Welcome to Not Sam Wrestling. Welcome to the week. It's another week in this world of being a wrestling fan as we head towards WrestleMania and all of those great things. Look, let's talk about it. Let's get into it. We'll get to Alex Levine is going to be on the show. He's a good buddy of mine. And a huge wrestling fan. We'll get to it. But, but, there's bigger fish to fry. All right, look. I understand. I don't talk about AEW that much. And so I get criticized sometimes for it. But I don't care, luckily. I mean, you know, I, I don't know if, if you've noticed me. But if you would look at my past records, you would see that I'm pretty well documented that criticism doesn't generally bother me. It doesn't dictate the way I do things. Uh, the reason that I don't talk about AEW is, number one, there's a conflicting wrestling show on at the same time called NXT, uh, and NXT is a show that I watch loyally. So there's a lot of AEW stuff I missed. I can't speak on AEW as an expert fan the way I can, I believe, WWE and NXT because I, I miss a lot of it, and I don't watch Dark or any of that stuff. Uh, also, I have a, a clear, admitted, built-in bias. I'm not going to be able to, to to talk about the intricacies of AEW without this shift of I grew up a WWE fan. I've always been a WWE fan. You can go to episode one of Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast before it was even not Sam Wrestling, and you'll hear me telling you I am a WWE fan. And then WWE decides to take a chance on the kid and put him on a couple of pre-shows, and yeah, the loyalty to WWE builds in me as it should, as as a loyalty uh, that you would have towards anybody that would believe in you and take a chance on you should exist. All that said, I've been excited about what AEW is doing. I've been excited about this pay-per-view that happened last night, AEW Revolution, and that's because... I, I mean, I, the other reason, real quick, I don't talk about AEW every single week and everything that happens in AEW is because every time I talk about anything remotely controversial on the podcast, some dirt sheet monger has to turn it into a clickbait headline. And then I got to call a bunch of people and say, no, no, no. The quoting context is this. I'm just talking on my podcast. I'm not trying to, you know, start this rabble rousing cause. It's just what the headline says. Oh, okay. All right. All right. No, no problem. We understand. We get it. So look, all that said, I was really excited about uh, 
AEW Revolution over the weekend because really, I mean, and, and, you know, it was fun thinking about who's the big signing that's coming to AEW. Who's there's a mystery man in the ladder match. And then the big show is advertising a a mystery hall of fame worthy talent. That's going to be an AEW and Tony Khan's building it up. And so that's exciting, but I've made no secret about it. And if you're a Patreon subscriber and you get the Thursday, not Sam Thursday podcast, I think we've talked about it over there even more than we've talked about it on this podcast. But it was the it's the exploding barbed wire death match that by a mile I was most excited about. And that's because I've been into death matches since as a little kid. It's there's just something about them. I literally over the weekend set up my VCR. I found a VCR that actually works. It was the last VCR that I owned. So I mean it's like the newest VCR that I have, but it's still probably 16, 15, 16 years old. It's got a DVD player in it. But DVD technology is insanely old. So anyway, I found the thing and it's working. And I found an adapter that I can actually plug it into my flat screen TV. And so I hooked up my VCR. And over the weekend, I was watching. I went to my parents' house. I found my VHS tapes from when I'm a kid. And I'm literally watching my Japanese deathmatch, Onita, FMW, Big Japan, all of it on VHS tapes just because of the of the pure nostalgia. I get a nostalgia rush, and I didn't realize this until more recently. I've always known that I get a nostalgia, like I get, we all get nostalgia rushes for specific points and eras in wrestling. And a lot of it depends on when we grew up. A lot of it depends on how we felt like, the NWO gives me, uh, early NWO specifically, and NWO Silver, just kidding. That doesn't give anybody anything. But uh, the original run of the NWO, it gives me this incredible nostalgia kick going back to like, probably Bash of the Beach 96. So it would have been 12 at Bash of the Beach 96. So like, seventh, eighth grade, heading towards high school. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I think that my first day of high school, this is the level that I'm at, okay? This is what I'm working at. My first day of high school, I thought about what do I want to wear? How do I want to represent myself as I go into high school? I wore an NWO Wolfpack shirt, and not just any NWO Wolfpack shirt. It was the NWO Wolfpack shirt that you could get at the mall, that had like the little red and black. I'm wearing an NWO Wolfpack shirt right now. I didn't even realize it. But it had the it had the a little black and red NWO logo and then Big Sexy and K-Dog and Red and Black Sting and Lex Luger and all the Wolfpack was on the shirt with it. And it said like running with the pack or don't turn your back or something like that. Something cheesy. But I wore that to school to, just because that's the flag that I wanted to wave when I when I got to high school. I wasn't worried about everybody thinking I was the man. I, I mean, part of me probably thought that if I wore a Wolfpack shirt, everybody would think I was the man. And let's be honest, the people that I wanted to think that I was the man thought I was the man because they'd be like, yeah, I'm, I'm somos unos vatos locos for life. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm with it. So that's where it takes me. And I was always a big Cactus Jack fan in WCW. I'd heard about ECW, you know, 95, started hearing about ECW and the wrestling magazines and stuff like that. And... I guess must have stumbled upon it late 
96, but really just started dabbling in hardcore wrestling and kind of learning about what it was. And it, I don't know, must have been in 97 or so, there was this independent wrestling show. It was the first independent wrestling show I ever went to because it was actually in my high school gymnasium. It was like a one-off show. It wasn't a real promotion. Um, I mean, I you know, that's no disrespect to the person who put it on, but I'm saying they weren't running monthly. It was a one-off show. It was in the gym of my high school. And there was a guy and selling like VHS tape dubs, which was very common in like the old days of indie shows and, and conventions and stuff like that. And the two tapes that I bought from him were the Cactus Jack, Terry Funk, Deathmatch compilation tape and the IWA Kawasaki Dream 95 King of the Deathmatch. And that started me running. That started get me getting into tape trading. That started, that's how I found RF Video. That's how I started buying uh, Best of Onita, Best of Hayabusa, Best of Explosion Deathmatches, History of the Big Japan Deathmatch, everything. Everything. I loved it. Garbage wrestling just did it for me at that time. And if you go back, and I talked about this leading up to the pay-per-view, but if you go back and you look at a lot of those matches, there's just a lot of psychology into it. You know, a lot of people that just don't like death matches because they think of it as senseless bloodletting have not seen great death matches because there's a lot of bad death matches because, you know, in Japan, like, you know, like I said, Kawasaki Dream was 95, but like in the mid-90s, it really started to take over with the stuff that FMW was doing, the stuff that Onita was doing, the exploding ring matches. I was like, started, you know, I guess before 95 technically, but throughout the 90s, into the mid-90s, that stuff was really hot in Japan. And then into the late 90s and really in the 2000s and beyond is where death matches kicked up big time in, in, in America. You know, ECW did a couple of barbed wire matches, which were actually really good. But they tried their hand at an exploding barbed wire death match. CZW did a ton of death matches. XPW did a ton of death matches. CZW still does death matches. But a lot of times, especially like death match tournaments and stuff like that, it gets real easy to go back to the well and, and just become a spectacle of watching somebody take punishment. Like, it drifts past wrestling into, like, weird S&M torture stuff. You know, like, this isn't, this isn't the same thing. You know, good deathmatch wrestling is avoiding the barbed wire at all costs, is settling a score that actually matters, is, you know, building and building and building if there's an explosion to this big explosion, and, and, and you feel it, and you feel the danger, right? A lot of times in bad deathmatch wrestling, you don't sense the danger because they get right to it and it's just bloodletting and you're like, well, I would just avoid that at all costs. Like, I don't want a guy opening a weed whacker on my face. I would just not be around that. But if you're like, oh, no, I get it. You're getting in a ring because you're a wrestler and you're trying to settle a score and you think you're going to avoid the barbed wire and, you're, and then like, and it just, it, it, it builds in you and you feel it. When it's good, even if you don't like deathmatch wrestling, you feel it. You feel the worry for the superstars that are in the ring. And that's what good deathmatch wrestling is is all about. It's about really, because how often in wrestling do we actually feel the things that are being portrayed? 
How often do we actually like get to a match and go, oh my God, a lot is on the line here. I don't know who is going to come out and earn the championship. No, we're all adults. We're all smart. We've all been watching wrestling long enough to know what's exciting about this is I don't know what's going to happen. I'm interested to see where the story goes. I'm interested to see where they've booked this. I'm interested to see where the writers take it. You know, however we think about it. And sometimes we get lost in it, but you, you don't, you, you always know what you're watching. But good deathmatch wrestling, because you're looking at it and it's like, it's real barbed wire. There's real explosions going off. That's really a baseball bat. That's really a baseball bat that's wrapped in barbed wire. You know, there's all this stuff. And all of a sudden you go back to being a kid again when everything is real and you feel everything that these guys are going through and, and you worry for them. That's, to me, the beauty of deathmatch wrestling, the way it can make you feel. And Atsushi Onita is a master of it. He was showcased in the, in the uh, packages leading up to the deathmatch uh, that AEW did last night at the pay-per-view. Legend. He's the Hulk Hogan of, of deathmatch wrestling. Exp especially exploding barbed wire and exploding ring matches. Now, there was a lot of questions going in, and I think that, you know, it was very bold of AEW to put on this match to begin with. Because number one, deathmatch wrestling was fairly popular with hardcore fans in, like, like I said, in the 90s. But... It's a, it's become a real, real, real niche, right? And I mean, you know, we we had Matt Tremont on the podcast a while back. He sat right here in the Not Sam studio with me and, and you know, just talked about his journey of being a deathmatch wrestler. And that's what John Moxley was for a long time. I mean, Shane Swerve Scott, Isaiah Swerve Scott from NXT, he spent a chunk of time. We talked about it with him when, when he was on the podcast recently. When he was in CZW doing cage of death matches and stuff like that. I mean, Moxley did crazy death matches. You know, there's a lot of guys that do that. But they took a big risk in doing it because so many people are, number one, unfamiliar with it because there hasn't been a giant American promotion that's ever put this match on WCW never did a death match WWE never did a death match so there's a, a huge portion of your audience that's never seen it number two out of the people that have seen death matches or at least are aware of death matches there's a huge portion of those fans that declare that's not my thing I don't like it that's not wrestling you know I don't I, I don't want anything to do with that that's like torture porn and you have to get those people to get past their feelings of it and go on this ride with you. And it's very difficult to do. On a whole other side, they're difficult to pull off technically. I mean, they're, they're difficult to pull off because like, I mean, you don't even really think about it, but it would be really difficult to pull off a death match in America in a non-COVID environment because you do need a whole bunch of space around the ring. And it's not like you can clear out the audience before the main event and just then allow yourself to have all this. I mean, technically you could, but it'd be insane to do that. So what are you going to do? Have the rest of the card with like all this space around ringside and then 
set up your death matches and stuff like that. Like, you can't really do that. If it's exploding death matches, you need to clear out the way so nobody gets explosions on them. So that becomes difficult to do. And, you know, that's one of the things, like we talked about with the cinematic matches, becoming a, 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 a big part of this. Like, there are, are creative things you can do because of the scenario that we're in with the pandemic where it's like, maybe we can use this to our advantage, as 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 strange as that sounds. There are things that we can do now that we couldn't do before. And having an exploding ring barbed wire deathmatch is one of those things because you can't have fans at ringside anyway. Number two, so, so, so it becomes difficult to pull off with an audience. Number two, it becomes difficult to pull off because of fire codes. Because of, of, of the amount of explosion that you can legally have in a room. Again, AEW being in an open-air arena without fans by the ring, it's, it's, it's helpful. Number three, because there's a lot that can go wrong technically, and I've seen it happen. Some death matches are perfect. They are done to a T. And, 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 and I loved that they went the extra mile on AEW and put their referee in that I mean, it was a goofy bomb suit. Like, clearly, it was just a suit that you put on to paint a car. But I, that didn't bother me at all. Like, the visual of it was perfect. Like, if you look at, at some of, of Onita's classic uh, exploding ring death matches, you can, like, the referee is in the sort of, like, tinfoil hazmat suit. And, and it's, it's hilarious. It's great. Like, it just adds to the environment. It's fun. So, I love that they did that. But... It's difficult to pull off with all the explosions. I mean, I mentioned that ECW tried to do it at one point. They tried it once, and it was a miserable failure because the explosions didn't work. And man, when the explosions don't work, we'll get to it. We'll get to what happens. I saw, I, I went, the last time that I went to a show, like just as a pure fan, I didn't tell anybody that I was going, meaning like I didn't, you know, call the promotion ahead of time or text the promoter or text one of the wrestlers or anything. The last time that I just went to a show, I went to the website. I bought a ticket. I bought a ticket to the meet and greet, showed up through the front door with my ticket stub and just, and just went to the show as a fan. It was in 2017 when CZW put on a show called Once in a Lifetime. And it was the first time in 20 years. Like, Onita has only wrestled. Atsushi Onita has only wrestled a couple of matches in America. There have been a lot of attempts to get him over here, but they just always fall through, and he's never here. And CZW was able to book him. And I, I mean, I remember, I literally bought my ticket to the show maybe three days before the show because I was skeptical, like a lot of people were skeptical, that he was going to show up because of the nature of independent wrestling and because of the nature of Onita. But he did show up. He was there for the meet and greet. And it was like one of my favorite experiences as a fan ever. You know, when they took an intermission and during intermission, they took down all the ropes and they replaced it with barbed wire, sitting on the aisle, listening to Wild Thing play as Onita came out. And the big spectacle of this match was that it wasn't going to be an exploding ring match and it couldn't be an exploding barbed wire match either because of fire codes. But what they had was an exploding barbed wire baseball bat. And that was kind of what was hyped and everything. And when they finally brought out the exploding barbed wire baseball bat, the explosion uh, was delayed. So, like, 
I thought it was still cool. I was still having a good time. Like, it didn't ruin it for me. But a lot of people were, like, kind of rolling their eyes. Because, like, you know, Onita hits Tremont with the bat. And Tremont sells it. And then the explosion goes off. And so you're like, okay, that kind of, that kind of, like I said, the whole point of deathmatch wrestling is that it takes you on this ride. And you forget that, that what you're watching is planned or choreographed or whatever word that you want to use. You think it's people are really in the danger that they are portraying themselves to be in. And so when an explosion is not timed right, it just, it kills you. It just, it just completely collapses that whole feeling that you had, no matter what else happened. The whole feeling is collapsed. There are tapes that I've seen, like, you know, the IWA 95 King of the Deathmatch finals, like the ring explosion at the end isn't, it's not, I don't think it's what they planned on it being. So, however, all that said, we're watching a death match on a pay-per-view that is put on by what have what has become, you know, you could say there's all these promotions. There's, you know, WWE and NXT and AEW and Impact and Ring of Honor and NWA and all. There's two big ones, though. AEW is the second big promotion next to WWE. Those are the two big American wrestling promotions. The reason they're that big is because they play arenas and because they're on, mainly because they're on national television. They're on primetime on cable TV on giant channels. USA, Fox, that's network TV, and TNT. TNT, Wednesday nights, 8 p.m. That's a massive show. So, when you got a company that's that big going like, okay, we're going to do an exploding ring death match. Exploding, ex no, we're going to do an exploding barbed wire death match. You're like, okay, this is going to be the real deal. Like they're going to make the investment in this. This isn't an independent group that are trying to figure out how to make barbed wire explode. This is like, we're going to pay people who know what they're doing to do this right. I was waiting to hear the rules because there's lots of different ways to do it. Like an exploding barbed wire death match could be there are there are matches that are exploding barbed wire death matches which are just the first part of the match that we saw on Sunday which is when you hit the barbed wire that surrounds the ring it explodes not every exploding barbed wire death match is an exploding ring barbed wire death match what we saw there's also there's two ways people were going like I was not thrilled when I saw the ropes were still on the ring. As it turned out, I was totally fine with it. When I, But just when I first saw it, my favorite type of death match is what's called a no-rope barbed wire death match. That's the technical term. People don't use all that. You know, when you see it in ECW and stuff, it's just called a barbed wire match. But technically speaking, there's a, there's a barbed wire match, there's a bed of nails, but a barbed wire match does not necessarily mean a no-rope barbed wire match. There are no roped barbed wire matches. There are no rope barbed wire matches where only two sides of the ring have the wire on them and the other two sides of the ring are completely like empty, no ropes at all, sumo style. And that's where the beds of explosives are on each side of the ring. So you either hit barbed wire on on the sides that are to your the the sides of the ring that are to your right and to your left and those barbed wires are lined with explosives. Or the sides that are in front of you and behind you have no ropes on them whatsoever. And if you fall off the apron, 
you're sent into, you know, a bed of exploding barbed wire or a bed of glass or it could be piranhas. You know, you never know. You never know what's going to be down there depending on the match. So, so technically it's not like they acted like they were giving us anything they weren't because they never actually said no rope barbed wire. But they also never said it's an exploding ring match. So I didn't realize it was an exploding ring match until Sunday, which I was very excited about. You know, I had always thought, and I've heard, you know, on Bruce Pritchard's podcast, uh, Conrad has talked to him a lot about why this never happened in WWE, that there were rumors when they had Cactus Jack and Terry Funk uh, both on the payroll that something like this would happen, maybe around WrestleMania 14. You know, there's also, and there's photos of Vince McMahon and Jim Ross meeting in Stanford in Titan Tower with Atsushi Onita. Theoretically, to discuss the idea of doing what it would be like to do an exploding ring match in the United States, because Onita had always wanted, had said that he wanted to bring the exploding death match to the United States. And Bruce has always said it's so stupid that they're all dumb. It's just a bunch of pyro on the outside of the ring. But when it's done right, it's an incredible spectacle. And last night, John Moxley uh, trying to win back the AEW championship from Kenny Omega in an exploding ring barbed wire death match. Uh, I thought it was almost perfect, to tell you the truth. I mean, I was loving it, loving it. I thought that the way they had the barbed wire set up on the ropes was really working. I was very pleased that they didn't use gimmick barbed wire. You know, you can always tell. You can always tell because in so many of these barbed wire matches, the guys will wear T-shirts or they'll wear jeans just like, and, and I'm, I'm very pro that because it makes sense logically that a wrestler would want to do that. But you, I, I, I have seen plenty of, quote-unquote barbed wire matches where the wire does not stick to the clothing that the wrestler's wearing. And when I see that, I can't maintain my illusion. Like, I can't maintain this illusion of danger because I know immediately that the barbed wire's been gimmicked, that all the barbs on the barbed wire have been clipped so they're not sharp anymore. Like, it, it looks cool still, but it's not, like, it's not sticking, it's not gonna cut you. And so that's when I'm like, okay, well, this isn't this isn't taking me on that deathmatch ride. I don't want to see people get hurt. It's just if we're gonna do it, I wanna I wanna go on that ride. Um, and this one did like you know barbed wire was sticking to everybody. People were bleeding. Omega was and 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 it was just done so perfectly. They took their time. You know, at first Mox avoiding the wire, <clears throat> then Kenny avoiding the wire, then Mox since he's the good guy getting thrown into the wire first and just taking a beating. And then finally, Kenny Omega gets his comeuppance and, and he hits the wire. And I mean, there were, there were so many good spots. Uh, uh, Kenny, you know, hitting the explosion on the eye and the referee with his paint suit on us to go get the water and spray it all over Kenny's eyes. And then Mox, you know, because he couldn't kick out, but he could light off the explosion with his foot. And he blows up the barbed wire, and even though it hurts him, it knocks Kenny off of him. And I, I, I thought it was all great. And, you know, I, the thing goes off, and the interference of the Good Brothers, I was like, I mean, it makes sense for the story, but I never like interference in a barbed wire match. Because I feel like in a death match, that the 
ring becomes such a a dangerous, perilous space that you would never, there is no way somebody could convince you that entering that space is a good idea. That like, you know, you, you just want to stay far away from it. You don't want to hit the wrong thing and an explosive goes off. You don't want to be in the ring at the wrong time and the ring blows up. Like, so that's why I've, I've never really liked interference in death matches, but it happens and it made sense and it made the ending work where you still believe in, in Moxley even though he lost. And I, I still think that that was the right call. But I was sitting there like, man, they really did it. Because leading up to that, like throughout the pay-per-view, I mean, it was real hit and miss for me. Uh, I thought that the street fight, the cinematic street fight was very good. The match, I thought it was really good, actually, with uh, Sting and Darby Allen versus Team Taz. I thought that was a really, really good cinematic match. But I thought the commentary was misplaced. And it wasn't anything that was said over commentary. I actually thought the commentary was pretty good on tonight's show. Uh, I mean, on Sunday's show. But I thought that the fact that there was live commentary over it when it was clearly, like, it was shown to us as a produced piece. Like, in the beginning of it, Team Taz, like, literally travels through time. Like, they're on a roof, and it's daylight, and then the next shot is the car at night. Like, we like we know it's not happening in real time. And also, you know, it's shot cinematically. It's like we're getting out of this live universe and going into this cinematic universe. Now, I think there was value in what the commentators were saying. I just think that it didn't work for me with them in the booth. Like, I would have had uh, Taz in the warehouse because I thought Taz was excellent on commentary. And I would have had Taz in the warehouse kind of talking as they were going. Like, when Darby Allen was getting beat up, Taz could be yelling in the back. And you could go to a shot of Taz's face going, this didn't have to happen, Darby. You could have said yes. We offered you an opportunity. And, the, and, and that way, like, you can still tell, because there were pretty valuable stories being told over commentary, but you could tell those stories if you had Taz in the warehouse with them, kind of being the narrator of what's happening. I think that that could have been really, really cool. Uh, I, I thought the first half of the pay-per-view dragged. I thought the Battle Royal was a was a miss. But, like, none of it really meant. Like, all that stuff is is up to up to personal choices, and we, and we could have plenty of discussions about that. The point is, we get to the end of this death match, and like I said, I thought they did a great job. I thought the death match told a story. I thought that you felt the danger. Uh, all the explosion spots were really, really cool. You could hear the audience, everybody that I was talking to, I was in the discord room for our Patreon and everybody was reacting to every spot. And it's like, even the people that, that didn't love everything that was on the pay-per-view before the death, everybody was sucked in by the time that it finally happened. And I was like, this is exactly the way these matches should go. Omega and Mox did tremendous jobs. But if we can't enjoy as wrestling fans, when something goes inexplicable, Explicably wrong. And just when, when we are able to witness live one of the all-time classic botches, it really is our duty, I believe, as fans to enjoy it. It's all you can do. It's all you can do. Because you're sitting there, right? And, and I'm going like, okay, they end the match. It's like 28 minutes or whatever in like, you know, in two minutes, the ring's going to explode, but the match is already over. And that's, I mean, I realized immediately, 
oh, they're going to blow John Moxley up tonight. Like, that's how they're going to really, like, not only is he going to get cheated out of his title shot, but they're going to blow him up. I'm like, this is perfect. This is why you do a death match. Somebody's got to get blown up. And I love the idea because, you know, logically in your head, especially if you haven't seen these matches before, you're thinking, well, this match isn't going to be over because we're going to see the ring explode. So after the ring explodes, Mox maybe will be able to get up and hit him with the DDT and win. But no, when the match ends, I was like, oh, this is perfect. Because not only will Mox lose because of this interference that shouldn't have happened, but now he's going to get blown up and we're going to feel so sorry for him. He should be the champion, not blown to smithereens. And then Eddie Kingston comes out. And I'm like, I know this spot because I've seen this spot before. This is an old deathmatch spot where the guy covers the other guy, like, you know, as the explosion is happening. This is this literal spot has happened plenty of times before. As soon as Eddie Kingston got to the ring, I knew exactly how this was going to go, especially when the Blade and the Butcher were like, you know, Andy Williams is sitting there going like, you know, I might do some hardcore music, but I'm not, I'm not doing this level of hardcore wrestling. This is not for me. I'm not going to get blown up in a ring. Which is beautiful because we're already setting up like, Literally, the Good Brothers and Don Callis are running away. Kenny Omega's getting the hell out of Dodge. I don't want to be anywhere near this thing. Commentators are trying to back up. The Butcher and the Blade are like, and Bunny are like, we're getting the hell out of here. We don't want to be anywhere near ringside. And you're sitting here going like, oh my God, we're about to see some men get blown up tonight. And, and, and Kingston goes in the ring and he's trying to wake up Mox and he's trying to wake up Mox. And Mox is like groggy and he's, he can't get up. And he's handcuffed to boot. And Kingston looks at the clock. There's six, five, four. And he goes, this is all we can do. I love you. And he covers John Moxley. He sacrifices himself. And he covers John Moxley with his body. And then we hear. And I mean, you can hear in Excalibur's voice him trying to figure out if he should sell this explosion or are we waiting for it to actually start. When I was watching this thing, because at first, like some sparklers go off in the corners and I'm like, I didn't, I wasn't laughing yet. Sparklers go off in the corners and I'm like, okay, this is how it starts. And then two little flashes come off the floor. And then that's it. And I'm like, oh, no. Bully Ray said it all. Bully Ray had my favorite tweet of the night. Bully Ray from Busted Open quoted, and the Dudley boys too, quoted, uh, all they're going to remember is the finish. And he credited it to Vincent Kennedy McMahon. And I was like, yeah, dude. Yes. Because in that moment, like I'm sitting and now I'm laughing and I'm like, oh my God. Like you talk about being taken out of the suspension of disbelief. Every element of worry that you had for your hero, John Moxley throughout the entire match was erased. It was evaporated because now you see this is a joke. 
This is a, 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 a fool's errand. And at the time of this recording now, right now, I have not heard if they've addressed it in the media scrum. I have not heard if, if, if Tony Khan or Mox or any of those guys have talked about it. I would imagine that Mox was not part of the media scrum because the idea was that he was going to be exploded. So how could you do media after you got exploded? But anybody who works in the media would have seen the explosion. And they'd go like this. He did not get exploded. He was next to sparklers. (laughs) And poor Eddie Kingston. I mean, my God. Like, what's he going to do? First of all, he can't see the explosion. And he's certainly not looking at the explosion from our perspective. He's he's kind of just feeling it from in the ring because his head is down. But Mox has to lay on the ground selling this thing. Eddie has to lay on top of Mox selling this thing because uh, until they get off the air, because what else are you going to do? And I mean, goddamn Excalibur and Shivani are sitting there going like, oh, the humanity, like JR is ready to make another, as God is my witness, he's broken in half, hell in a cell call. And it's like, no, he's not broken in half, man. Any one of us watching could sit in the middle of that ring and withstand the explosion that just happened. It would not be an issue for any of us. And that's where it becomes a problem. Because what happens is now you're like, it makes no sense that Mox was selling it at the end of the pay-per-view. It makes even, at least he got beaten up. But I mean, that's the excuse people gave when Mox got hit with a microphone and lost the title. Well, he had taken the finisher a bunch of times before that. Yeah, but he was up. He was up and active. And then he got hit with a microphone and died. Now he died because there were sparklers in the corners. And and it's not Mox's fault. But So poor Mox has to sell it. Poor Eddie Kingston, of all the people. Poor Eddie has to sell it. The commentators have to sit there doing their jobs. But, like, everybody on commentary looks like a total idiot. (laughs) Eddie Kingston and John Moxley, their behavior becomes unexplainable. Don Callis and Kenny Omega, who have spent weeks bragging about how they are building this ring, look like total idiots. AEW's credibility is significantly damaged because they're like, oh, wait till you see what we've got in store for you next time. And you're like, is it going to work? And they're like, that's a good question. I would ask the same thing. I mean, first of all, they're still taking shots at the competition, which I never mind. I don't mind anybody taking shots at the competition. I'm not one of those guys that think we should all just get along. I love taking shots at the competition, okay? I love when when the new guy comes in, he starts taking shots. I think competition is really good. And quite frankly, I think both companies being aggressive right now would create even better products for all of us to watch. I love the idea of aggressive competition happening between these promotions because we are going to get the best product if competition becomes aggressive. But the idea, I mean, even the brass ring ladder match was a little shot. You know, that's a McMahonism, grabbing the brass ring. And it's like you can't take shots at the competition if you can't even blow up your ring right. When WWE collapses a ring, the ring collapses. And look, WWE has had their share of botches. 
I mean, ending a hell in a cell on a schmoz is like one of the worst things I've ever seen in wrestling. But promoting an exploding ring match and then the ring doesn't explode is like 101. Like, what are you doing? So AEW loses significant credibility. And to me, what's really painful is that all the people that were out there that were going, death matches are junk, garbage wrestling. Horrible. Are now sitting there going, this is, see, I told you. They're so stupid. Like, the Bruce Pritchard, who I love Bruce Pritchard, by the way. I mean, everybody knows this by now. I've had him on this podcast. I had him on my network show. I think, I mean, I think the world of Bruce Pritchard. He's like really, he's just been a really, really great dude to me. Better than he has to be. And when somebody is better to me than they have to be, it goes a long way with me. So I love Bruce Pritchard. I'm only talking about his opinion on deathmatch wrestling because we part ways there. But AEW proved Bruce Pritchard right tonight. When Bruce Pritchard is like, deathmatch wrestling is so stupid. It's like, and then a bunch of fireworks go off outside the ring. Like nobody gets hurt from that. And like, guess what? Every single person that watched the pay-per-view tonight was like, who cares that there's fireworks outside the ring? There's, I mean, Goldberg's fireworks are way bigger and way closer to him than the explode than the ring blowing up. Gilbert's fireworks were more powerful than the ring blowing up tonight. So we lose that battle now. All us deathmatch fans that are going like, no, deathmatches are cool. Anybody that's sitting there going, no, they're not. They suck because they do stupid shit like this. What am I going to say? No, not always. Like, that's a terrible argument. You're like, yeah, I guess you're right. I guess there's a lot of them that suck. And even when you invest your money, and even when it's on a national, international scale, and even into a top wrestling company that's got millions and millions and millions of dollars invested into it, and it's on TNT every week, and it's like a mainstream thing, they still suck. And I'm like, well, I don't think so, but I don't really have as many good facts as you do to back up my argument. I just like them so much because of this. I've watched the video many times and I've laughed quite a bit. It really is. And and we will look back on this. You feel bad for people now involved, but we all will look back. Anybody that doesn't think this is hilarious and anybody that doesn't think, like, I don't want, like, AEW stands headed anywhere near my direction and being like, yeah, you're only saying this to cash your paycheck. Like, no. I get paychecks for other stuff. First of all, I pay to be on the kickoff shows. Everybody knows that. And don't and let me tell you how much I have to pay to be on those ultimate elimination chamber shows. An arm and a leg. I'm going broke from all the money I spent having them put my Not Sam Wrestling show on the network. But this has nothing to do with that. This has to do with, as a fan, when you watch the Shockmaster fall through a wall, you watch the Shockmaster fall through a wall, and you know exactly what you saw. When you watch, when you watch Sam Roberts at WrestleMania 30. Five thirty-six WrestleMania New Orleans 2. And he's just stuttering and stammering his way through a pre-show and telling you action is on the way. You know exactly what you just watched. A horrible botch. <laughs> and when you watch a pay-per-view and they go, we're doing an exploding barbed wire match. And guess what? The ring's going to explode. We're going to play a siren for 10 minutes. That's how much hype we're going to... 
We're going to play a siren for 10 minutes. And then all of our best, most toughest wrestlers are going to run away from the ring as fast as they possibly can because they're going to be so scared. And then, like, some party poppers go off. And we're like, and the commentators are going like, I can't believe what we've just seen. It's so hot in the ring right now. Here's the thing. It's not hot in the ring right now. You know how I know that? Because earlier in the night, somebody came out and their pyro went off. And one of the commentators was like, oh, that pyro feels good right now because it's so cold. It's a cold night in Florida. You've already established that. Guess what? Even when the ring blew up, there wasn't enough heat from the explosion to make the ring not cold. Moxley wasn't wearing a shirt. Eddie Kingston had no sleeves on. They must have been freezing in there. And they thought to themselves, man, it's cold for an explosion to be going off around us. That's because the explosion was unthinkably weak. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was bad. It was real bad. When I was watching it, I was like, this could be a difference maker for AEW. This could be one of those things. So I'm texting Hot Dog. You don't know Hot Dog by now. I'm texting Hot Dog, and I'm like, middle of the match. I texted Hot Dog. I said, bro, this is fucking awesome. And Hot Dog replied, bro, this is the only match that my roommates, who are not wrestling fans, are completely evolved, involved in. And I'm like, yeah, that, but, and that's what wrestling needs. Spectacles. They get non-fans to be like, oh, what's that? This is cool. This is different. And then some goddamn wedding sparklers go off at the end of the match when they've been advertising that a ring's going to explode and playing a siren for 10 minutes. And everybody that's a non-wrestling fan, go, they go like this. Oh, yeah, that's why we don't watch that dopey shit. And what are you going to do, argue with them? Well, it was supposed to be bigger. And they're like, good. It looks so stupid. You're like, yeah, yes, it did. You're right on that one. And people will go like this. Well, it's hard to pull off blowing up a ring. So don't blow up a ring. Don't blow up the ring at the end of the match. If you can't, they didn't even advertise that they were going to blow up the ring until like a couple of days before. If you can't blow up the ring, don't blow up the ring. You could have, if you had just had the match with the exploding barbed wire and the explode, and by the way, the, the explosion that went off under the bed of barbed wire, it, I think we were able to give it a pass, but, mm, but that would have been fine. If you just had Kenny Omega walking out triumphantly, leaving John Moxley, who had fought for his life in a heap, because he was able to win the title because the Good Brothers interfered? You would have had a perfect ending to the match. But you added on, oh, by the way, we're going to blow up the ring at the end of the match, which you did not have to do because, like I said, an exploding barbed wire death match means just that. The barbed wire explodes. An exploding ring death match means the ring explodes. You didn't advertise that you were going to have an exploding ring match. You decided to blow up the ring. But you couldn't. Meaning, if you had just said, it might be real tough to blow up this ring. What if we just don't? No harm, no foul. Nobody, nobody, nobody 
would have left that pay-per-view going, I thought the ring was going to blow up. This isn't a real death match. Nobody would have said that. They would have been like, what are you complaining about? The barbed wire blew up. The baseball bat blew up. The bed of barbed wire on the outside of the ring blew up. There were lots of explosions. You'd be like, okay, no, that's a good point. But they go, and we're going to blow up the ring. Listen to the siren going. And then it didn't go up. I mean, sometimes, like, hopefully, like, it's just, it, the story is, yeah, we screwed up. We screwed up. Because instead of having this moment where AEW could get to the next level, like, literally, you were on the line. And then you just rolled all the way backwards. The story of tonight's death match or Sunday night's death match, last night's death match. Whenever you're listening to this podcast, the story of Omega versus Moxley is the story of the ring that had sparklers in the corners. That's it. The video that's going to be shared of this match is that. I was listening to Craig Carton and Evan Roberts on WFAN here in New York. And I was listening to Evan Roberts on Saturday morning as I was driving around. This is a, a big sports station in New York City. They don't talk about wrestling, right? Like, Peter Rosenberg won the 24-7 championship completely, 100% only so that the WWE could have a moment where on the Michael K show, Peter Rosenberg could lose the title to R-Truth, right? And they wanted this to happen on the Michael K show because the Michael K show is the number one sports show in New York City. It's a big radio show that he's on. Craig Carton and Evan Roberts are the number one competitors there. It's the second biggest sports radio show in the afternoons in New York City. And they're climbing up the charts. And I heard him talking. Evan, I guess, is a wrestling fan. Craig is not. He claims that he was supposed to be Joey Styles, but that's uh, not, I, I think there's a different story there. But like, Evan was talking about this on the air. Oh, yeah, there's going to be like an exploding barbed wire, exploding ring match, exploding death match, like how wacky and like weird this is, which is exactly the press you want built so that people who haven't watched wrestling in a long time or people that aren't fans are like, I don't know, I keep hearing about it. they're going to like have exploding barbed wire. I'm going to buy this pay-per-view. But what do you think is going to happen today on Monday when the Craig Carton and Evan Roberts radio show comes on? And Carton goes, yeah, did you watch that pay-per-view? What happened with the exploding death match? He's not going to sit there and say, oh, man, first Moxley took a shot before the match, which was super cool. And then they, you know, they, they avoided the barbed wire. And then they threw him into the barbed wire and it exploded. And then they flipped him into a better barbed wire. And then they knocked him out of the ring. And then there was an exploding barbed wire baseball bat. No, they're not going to tell any of those stories. Evan is going to go like, yeah, I mean, they fought in barbed wire, but then at the end of the match, the ring was supposed to blow up and it looked like they had bought some fireworks on the border of Pennsylvania and New Jersey and they just lit them off next to the ring. Nothing happened. Except you, you got two weirdos in the middle of the ring acting like they got so severely hurt by like children's fireworks. And Craig Carton's like, what? And he's like, yeah, wait till you see this video. It's the weirdest, wackiest, dumbest thing you've ever seen. And that's a microcosm of conversations that are going to be happening everywhere. It's the only conversation that's going to be happening about this match, except amongst like hardcore wrestling fans that will go in a little bit deeper and go, 
oh yeah, here's what I liked. Here's what really happened. Let's get beyond that. But we're not going to get beyond that. That's that spot is unfortunately the real the the truth and the, and and the reality is that that spot is the story of this match. And it's insane, you know. When people talk about Onita being in CZW, yep, it was a huge deal that Onita was in CZW. But you can't get through the story of that match without saying what a schmoz it was that halfway through the match it turned into a six-man tag and that the baseball bat didn't really work that well. That's the story. Oh, yeah, it was really, for me, as just a hardcore fan, it was awesome that Onita was there. But, like, the running gag is that it turned into a six-man tag and that the bat didn't work that well. ECW is like, it's a, uh, that match is like folklore is a colossal failure. You can't even get that match on video anywhere. Every other ECW match is somewhere. I got the mass transit incident on video. I don't have the exploding match on video. But this is, I mean, it's one of the biggest main event level failures. I mean, this is going to be, and this is, here's the thing. Like the finish of WrestleMania eight was a colossal failure. Because of mistimed cues and weird finish and everything. Like, it, it was a colossal failure. But, like, that just seemed messy as you were watching it. And you didn't really know why it seemed messy. This one is like, oh, my God. Like, did, was that on purpose? Was there supposed to be another explosion? Did it just not work? What, did you think that we were going to be satisfied by that? The fuck was that? This main event finish the end of the pay-per-view was the wrestling pay-per-view version of WWE 2K20 when like you got the video game and you were like how is this even a thing like what do you what did you think this was going to be how could this not be anything other than a failure why did you even put this game out why does this exist this is only a meme forever. Nobody will ever play 2K20 except to make fun of it. And like, as much as I'd like, like I was sitting there watching this death match going, this is going to go on my reel. I'm going to want to find a spot where I could get a, a, a DVD of this, or a Blu-ray of this, something. Maybe I can figure out a way to download it. Something where I have a copy of this match because it's going to go on my on my spot when I want to watch a good death match. This will be one of them. But guess what? I can't watch this death match as a good death match. I can watch it as like, I can enjoy the first part of it and then know that there's a huge botch coming and it's going to be hilarious. But that's what it is. I mean, it in one spot went from Hayabusa versus Onita, Terry Funk versus Onita conversation to Shockmaster conversation. And that's the beauty of wrestling. That that line is that thin. 30 minutes of in-ring work with blood, barbed wire, chairs, Trash cans, bats, explosions, all get thrown out the window 
because of one moment when an explosion turns into a lit match that a little kid is able to blow out. If my four-year-old had been in the ring with Eddie Kingston and John Moxley, I wouldn't have been concerned whatsoever at the end of that match. Not whatsoever. I, I would have known my little guy would have been absolutely fine. I don't even think he'd be scared. He'd probably be like, oh, did you see those sparklers? That was awesome. That's how quick things change in wrestling. And that's how much the details matter. Bully Ray said it best as he quoted Vince McMahon. All they're going to remember is the finish. God bless John Moxley. God bless Kenny Omega. God bless Eddie Kingston. All of them. But ultimately, unfortunately, their hard work and the really great work that they did will forever be overshadowed by whoever doesn't know how to blow up a ring. And it sucks for them, but it is great for Matthew because, my God, if he doesn't put that on the opening of Botchamania, if he doesn't have that on every Botchamania going forward, he should have a segment that is dedicated to the ring that didn't explode. So big ups to Matthew. Now, my guest on the podcast this week, we're gonna. I actually recorded this interview before the pay-per-view, so we're done talking about that. What I want to talk about is we talked about, you know, being a wrestling fan. We talked about Bobby Lashley. Uh, Alex Levine, uh, he's in the band Gaslight Anthem, but he's working on other projects now as well. He's working on a, a, a project. He's got a new band. They're called Forgivers, and they've got a big single coming out, but he's just, he's one of the biggest wrestling fans that you could ever hope to meet. He's one of my wrestling buddies. We've, we've for years, I think Josh Matthews actually introduced the two of us. And he's one of those guys that, like, you could just, I could talk with him about wrestling for hours. So I figured I'd take some of that time and share it with you. Here he is on the podcast this week from Gaslight Anthem and other projects, Alex Levine. The Not Sam Wrestling Interview. Here on the podcast, somebody who, look, I mean, is an accomplished musician has plenty of credits, but you know, I always do the wrestling fan test, the silent, quiet wrestling fan test where like you drop a couple questions in and you judge, I judge whether or not you can talk to this person, like whether or not this is going to be like when your wrestling friends are just like, oh, okay, they pretend that they like wrestling, but they don't know what they're talking about. And Alex Levine passes the test with flying colors by the way uh he's been in a, a, a bunch of bands probably most famously the gaslight anthem uh he's coming out with new stuff now but most importantly he's a big old wrestling fan so welcome alex man how are you <laughs> thanks for the intro bud yeah uh, yeah dude more importantly in my life um i'm a freaking wrestling fan mm-hmm. beyond Beyond anything else, above and beyond anything else, man, wrestling has been my, uh, it's been, it's been my chi, my center, you know, yeah. it's, it's my, uh, it's my go-to when I'm down, when I'm happy, everything in between, man. And, uh, I always said, I was like, if there was a, if there was something called like a wrestling archivist, I remember saying this in high school, I was like, 
I want that job <laughs> <laughs> above and beyond anything yeah. else. Well, dude, I just want this I just is what, want that. Yeah, I don't know what you did, you know, getting into this music nonsense because that became like when they and when they right before I think they launched the network when when like WWE went digital. Because they used to have this, like, big... It was literally a tape library. Like, it was where they shot the episodes of, like, WWF Mania back in the day. Like, it was just rooms full of racks of tapes. And at some point, like, 15 years ago or so, they hired a bunch of people. And the whole job... And I've talked to people whose job this was. The entire job was to go through every tape and log everything that happens on them. So it's like not just every match that happens, but like go through these random tapes. And it was like every tape. It wasn't just WWE stuff. It was like the WCW tape library, the ECW tape library. It was everything. And it's like, okay, you not only are logging. All right. It's Mr. Perfect versus Macho Man or whatever. You're like, you're logging the entrance. You're logging who's with them. You're logging the moves because like they created this database. So it's like, we need a Randy Savage clothesline. And so you could type in Randy Savage clothesline and somebody has manually looked at these tapes and like written down at 05920 Randy Savage clothesline. And you're like, there it is. So you could have had that job. <laughs> it's incredible. It's incredible, man. I mean, I would I would be on the road, you know, probably around around that point. I would be on the road and, you know, we'd be having a few drinks late at night on the bus and say there was somebody new on the bus mm -hmm. they would play this game with me of just trying to stump me and and you know the funny thing you've talked to so many non-wrestling fans or fans of wrestling when they were kids and they always bring up like oh yeah junkyard dog yeah <laughs> andre the giant man and and you know um remember when hulk hogan you know just very obvious thing you know and i would just i would just kind of bypass that i'm like Give me something gnarly. Give me something crazy. Give me, <laughs> give me um, the finish on the second match of SummerSlam '91. You know what I mean? Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or like, or like, let's sit down and talk about like, have you ever noticed that Bret Hart is a better opening match pay per view wrestler than anybody else? And you sit there and you go, you know, you're right. And then you just start talking about every match that Bret Hart had that opened a pay-per-view. Or like my argument, which is like talking about Bret Hart and SummerSlam. It's like people talk about Bret Hart's streak at SummerSlam. And they go, well, 1990 was the Hart Foundation and Demolition. That was an incredible match. 91 was perfect versus Bret. It literally changed wrestling. 92 was Bulldog versus Bret. It changed wrestling again. And people act like that's where the streak ends. But I go... Right. People don't take, and I talked about this on the show on the network, people don't take Doink seriously. But Doink in 1993 was as good as it gets. And if you go to SummerSlam 93, people go like, oh, it's disrespect to Brett. He's wrestling Doink at SummerSlam 93. And I'm like, nope. You go watch Doink versus Bret Hart, SummerSlam 93, and you will find that it it matches. It goes right along. It, I, it inclu I, I include it. I don't skip. It goes... Right. 92 Bulldog, 93 Doink, 94 Owen in the Cage, but 93 <laughs> Brett versus Doink is on the list and nobody puts it on the list. Dude, 100%. I mean, first of all, Doink, the original Doink as we know, was an accomplished wrestler. Incredible. The gimmick, the gimmick is what it is, but he was a fucking incredible wrestler. Yeah, and he was good enough that he like that's the other thing about the gimmick. Like the gimmick didn't get cheesy until Matt Bourne left.
Like right. the original joint gimmick was like one of those things where it should have been cheesy. And when you say a wrestling clown, like the phrase is cheesy. But when you right. actually ask, look at him, it's like he's doing better than Tim Curry in it. Like he's incredible. <laughs> he was the real life Pennywise, especially at, at that point in professional wrestling where you had these like over the top comical gimmicks. He took that and ran with it, man. Like it could have been like, like Papa Shango could have been that right. You right. look at, you look at something like Papa Shango and you're like, okay, I get it. You know, I, I get it. And I was seven, eight years old when it happened. Mm -hmm. I was terrified. But, me too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you <know? laughs> but you, but you get older and you're like, Oh, Oh, like when you're, when you're watching, Randy Orton spit up oil on Raw now, you're like, oh, like if I was in my 30s watching WWE then, I would have felt the same way about the Warriors spitting up. Like, I'd be like, what are you, what is this? <laughs> exactly. But Matt Bourne, the way he pulled that off, man, that was, uh, it, there was, that was real storytelling, man. Yeah. You get into WrestleMania 9 with Crush. Yeah. Dude, that, that build up in the beginning i mean the first what was the first three months of monday night raw yeah he was a huge part of that huge part he was like in the audience and then he and then he would show up and he knocked out crush with his with his severed arm and it gave crush <laughs> it gave him a concussion crush has been just beaten senselessly with the severed arm i was like this is great this, this is, is great amazing. yeah it was it, it was the loaded arm too yeah 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 it was loaded it wasn't just a fake cast that's right it was it was loaded, but everything in that era was loaded. Like you would just hit somebody with whatever you could find backstage and be like, just tell them it's loaded. Like I, IRS's briefcase was never just a Halliburton. It was like, no, there's bricks in there, man. It hurts way worse. <laughs> there's too many tax papers in there. Yeah. Everybody's W9s are in there. <laughs> so, so when you were, when you're on the road, right. With your band, and obviously, like, after a show or before a show, like, during the day or whatever, like, I would imagine you need to take those moments of, like, like, I just need to chill. I need my personal time where I can just get my mind off everything and just focus on something that I like. And, like, I'm sure you're the same way that I am. That means finding some weird old obscure wrestling and putting it on and just enjoying yourself and the whole the rest of the world drifts away. But what is the what does the rest of your band think when they're like, oh, no, Alex is watching wrestling again. <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, we've been in a band together, Gaslight. Mm -hmm. the, we're going on like 17 years. Mm -hmm. So in the beginning, it was super weird. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's, not, it's not normal, right? Like yeah, right. the way people like me and you think to the outside world, it's it's not normal, right? right. So, <laughs> right. So um when when certain things happened early on you know they would kind of like think it's funny and whatnot and then they start realizing like i'm not messing around like this is <laughs> this brings real joy to, to my life yeah yeah <laughs> and um yeah and dude i mean throughout throughout my career there would be times where where you know uh my tour manager would show up and he's like yeah man there's a there's a pro wrestler that's here and they, they want to come backstage, meet you guys. And they would just all run up to me. They're like, Hey man, it's kind of like punk CM punk or something's here. I don't know. <laughs> and you're like, what? what? <laughs> I do a backflip. I'm glad I'm back here. <laughs> it's clobbering <laughs> time. 
<laughs> and it, you know, throughout my career, I've been able to like create. Oh wait, hold on. That's that is my daughter oh. ripping the door down right now. <laughs> I, I live in the same world that you live in. Trust me, I've, I've I knew exactly what that noise was even before you told me what it was. I was like, I've I've been there. <laughs> Let's go see what she's doing. Let's go see. Yeah, we need to. We can't have Daddy just in here talking about wrestling. It's speaking. Hey, Daddy is talking about wrestling. <laughs> Say hi. Hey, Say how hi, are you? <laughs> Say hi, baby. <laughs> okay. Yeah, Daddy will be downstairs soon, okay? All right. Okay. <laughs> like, like she, I love, I love that your daughter's wearing a princess dress and like living in this fantasy world because I like she doesn't like she looks at you like you're an adult and you're the authority figure and everything, but like you're escaping into your room full of your wrestling toys and your everything, and it's like I don't know if you understand, but we're living in the same world. Like this is my princess dress, right? This is my fantasy world, like my, my Bret Hart bone crunching action action figure right behind me. Like just because it's in the box. Exactly. Doesn't mean that we're any different. Like, exactly, and, and the fact that I just said, "Hey, baby, Daddy's just talking about wrestling." <laughs> I'll be down in a few minutes. <laughs> I, I, but you, you know what? That's that's healthier than the alternative to be like, "Daddy's at work, honey. Don't disturb Daddy while he's at work." It's like, no, we're let's be honest. Daddy's talking about wrestling, you know, and and she doesn't even look at you like. She doesn't go, what? What are you talking about? What? She's like, oh, okay. Yeah, no, that's... Okay, Dad. That's a... Is there any Mysterio in here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was just having a conversation with my uh, four-year-old, but it's reverse. I'm sitting there like, we're going through YouTube trying to figure out what he wants to watch. And he loves like Ryan's Toys Review. And mm. Braun Strowman was on there with him. And I was like, and I try to like educate him on wrestling. And I'm like, do you want to watch this Ryan with Braun Strowman? And he went, nah. And he went, that's Braun Strowman? I was like, yeah. And then he goes, how did he get to meet Ryan? <laughs> I was like, no. <laughs> it's not what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, he's way more impressed that, that Braun Strowman somehow figured out how to meet somebody as cool as Ryan than the other way around. And I'm like, okay. All right, baby steps. We'll get there. We'll exactly, get there. <laughs> exactly. But still, I mean, at this point, you know, we're talking about, again, oh. <laughs> grown men <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah but again, i mean it's very, it, like, it, and it's obsession. It, and it's really interesting too because like i'll get like toys like when i buy my wrestling toys first of all and i feel like this is actually very healthy and like good of me like i'll go to target with my son and it'll be you know the rule if daddy gets a toy he goes i get a toy <laughs> and so we like go in the wrestling aisle and i'm like oh we got some new elites here. Let me pick these up. And then my son is like, yeah, because that means we get to go in the Hot Wheels aisle and he gets yeah. to pick out some toys for himself. But it's like he also knows like when I bring home wrestling toys, he's not sitting there going, oh, I, these are for me. Right. Like he knows just instinctively. And maybe it's just because on his four years on this earth, that's the way it's always been. He's like like he looks at like those are daddy's toys. Like those are clearly yeah. for daddy. And, and they're not for like he doesn't even attempt to think that they might be for him he just looks at wrestling figures and goes oh yeah that's what those are dads i get right, i right. get the hot wheels he gets the wrestling toys that's that's the way this works <laughs> See, my my dad my dad was awesome man growing up um my dad got me into pro wrestling actually mm -hmm. probably around 
when I was four or five. Uh, he got me and my younger sister into it. And my dad's into it. Um, we've gone, you know, we've gone to extreme roles together, WrestleManias and whatnot. Um, but as I was getting older, I got you. Yeah. Yeah. So as, as I was getting older, he started buying me, he would buy me two of the same. He would say, okay, one's for the box and one's to play with. Like, you had the, dude, that's, my dad, dude, ass, that's awesome. That's... Check, check it out. I've wanted to show you this for a while. Okay. We're going back on, uh, Alex's shelf here. He's moving the autographed eight by 10 Steiner brothers photo. <laughs> <laughs> look at what my pops got me years ago so that's it's like oh french canadian that's hasbro series one bret hart on a french card moc so that's not one of these things that like you become a rock star and you spend your money rebuying the toys that you <laughs> missed like that you're when it came out your dad was like we'll get one bret hart for you to play with and one to keep in the box right right whoa that's 100%. That's amazing. So, I've had this 25 years. Wow. Yeah, man. That, e easy 25 years, probably longer. That's so 92. cool. Yeah, 92. So, geez, yeah. Yeah. 20 years. 20 years. Yeah, yeah, 20 years. That's, yeah, I mean, like, I started buying, <laughs> wait, is it? 30 years, 30 years, yeah. 30 years. That's crazy. We, neither one of us want to think in those terms, right? Like we wish it was 20 years still, but it's not, it's 30 years. Yeah. We're way older. Like we have kids. Like, yeah. <laughs> Cause I was with you. You were like 92. That's 20 years ago. Right. And I'm like, yep. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I've been married for 10 years. I'm not talking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like I got this Bret Hart Hasbro 10 years ago and then I married my wife. <laughs> like <Yeah>. what? <laughs> um, yeah. I, uh, uh, I started buying two of each and I don't do that anymore. There's just so many figures now. Like if it's something really good, I might keep something in the box or whatever. But like when Jack's first came out with bone crunchers, I bought the first like few series. I bought them two of each before they start. I mean, before they started releasing like new figures every two weeks when you, I mean, right. it's just not financially possible or space wise. Like you'd need storage lockers to store all these things. But, <laughs> right. but like I did. And I, so I was probably like 12 or 13 or something like that. When I started doing it, my dad was like, he thought it was the stupidest thing he ever heard in his life. <laughs> he was, what are you talking about? And I was like, no, man. They're going to go up in value. Now, bone crunchers are only now just starting to kind of go up in value. They're sort of starting to get there. But, like, that that has been a long-term investment for sure. So, so my dad my dad was – he was all about, you know, G.I. Joe in the 70, you know, 70s. He was all about G.I. Joes and um, comic books. So my dad has – I don't, dude, I don't even know. I don't even know the kind. And my dad's a blue collar dude. He's been a mechanic his whole life, just retired. I honestly, I don't even know how much money he has value wise in just toys. It's, <laughs> insane. it's insane. Was he, is he ever going to sell them? Or is it one of those things where it's like, no, this doesn't no, get touched? No, no. And it's, it's something that I hope to like pass on to my kids because my dad know like it's not even it's not even up for debate he knows everything goes to me 
Right. And and hopefully everything will just go to my kids. And hopefully one of them will become Dude, psychotic about it. That's, that's so awesome. That's that's generational wealth. Like that's what people do with art. You know what I mean? Like they buy a painting. Yeah, yeah, or Bitcoin or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's generational wealth except in toys. That's so cool. That's uh, now you now you're motivating me. Now I want to like I want to convince my son. Oh, I'm going to raise my son to value this stuff. Like so like we went to a store and uh I found like we were buy I was buying a micro machines and they had a Chase micro machine. I don't know. Like I, I like I didn't even know these things existed, but one of the micro machines was like it is silver. So it was a Chase. Like it was a rare one. And so I was like, "All right, buddy, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to buy you a regular one." And we're going to open this up and then I'm going to bring this and we're going to buy this one too, but we're going to keep it in the box. And he's like, <laughs> okay. And I'm like, we're in the car, we're in the car. And he's like, can I have the silver bus? And I'm like, no, 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 buddy. We're keeping it in the box. Like we're keep. And I got home and, and he goes to my mom and he's like, mom, can you tell dad to give me the silver bus? And she's like, and then like, when you're looking at your wife, like you can't explain to her, no, we're, I'm trying to teach him a lesson. We're keeping this micro machine. MOC, we're, and I was like, all right, we're going to open up this. Here's your right, silver box. Because <laughs> yeah. that's a different story when you're, when you're talking about trying to bring your wife into the sanity of this. It okay. Makes, logically, none of this makes sense. Yeah, because, like, okay, like, you're a cool rock star guy. You're all tatted up. You know what I mean? Like, you're like, yeah, like, 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 women <laughs> like find boys. me attractive, right? But then when you start these relationships, you have to be like, all right, look, there's a side of me that you may not find as attractive. <laughs> I'm actually a complete nerd. This is all a facade. Like I'm a complete geek. And I don't know if you knew this going in, but you have to be okay with it because it's never going to change. And that's the other right. thing. Like it's not, this, is, this isn't up for debate. Like I won't, I'll do anything for you. I love you. I'll never change this for you. Right. This is the who first I am. week of October every year, I will be going to Comic Con. You know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what's going to happen. So, like, it's just part of the deal. Yeah. How do you? How do you? How do you get past that hurdle? Whether it was with your wife or whoever, where it's like, okay, I got to break the news to this person that thinks I'm like a cool rock star guy. That yes, part of me is a cool rock star guy, but the other part of me is a complete wrestling geek who like wants to go to indie shows on the weekends, and and that's who I am. I think, I, I think there's this, uh, there's like this endearing thing about humans that, uh, not to get too deep, but yeah. for people that just kind of like know who they are. Yes. I think that's just, I like, dude, I don't, I just don't care. There's only a few things I'm good at and a few things that I care about. Mm -hmm. And it's what it is. I care about music. I care about wrestling, mm -hmm. my children, my family, my friends. And I really enjoy cutting hair, you know, like <laughs> it's what you like, it's what makes you happy. It's what I like. yeah. There's no, uh, I, I don't know. I can't, I can't really explain it. I'm just, I, I don't know. It's just, it's very black and white with me. There's no gray areas. I, when people are like, oh, I'm kind of into basketball, like, no, you know, like right. <laughs> I yeah. played when I was a kid and like, I think it's cool. I think LeBron James is cool, but I can't sit there and watch basketball games. Like, mm -hmm. You know, yeah, it's like, just not my thing. Yeah. I worship Michael Jordan because he's so good. I don't know if I've ever watched a Michael Jordan game. Because <laughs> right. like, I'm not, I'm not, I, the basketball, I'm the exact same way. Like, here's my yeah. list. It's on my list or it's not on my list. It's not, I, I'm cool either way, but like, I'm not watching sports. 
Like it's 100%. not. And like I don't, I don't feel any. I've never felt a need to be like, oh, I should really. People like sports. I should start watching sports. Like, mm -mm, right. like enjoy it. If people like yeah. it, tell the people to enjoy themselves. I'm busy over here. I got. Yeah, I mean, I right. see the Chucky I, hanging up, and I, I think I'm the exact same way as you. I got horror movies. I got wrestling. I don't really need that much else. I got a studio where I can make my YouTube stuff. I don't need anything else. Like, right, right. I got my I family. Mean, like, I'm good. I had this whole I had this conversation uh, with a friend of mine about motorcycles. He's like, dude, it just doesn't make sense to me that, like, you don't ride motorcycles. I'm like, what? why? <laughs> He's like, I don't know. You know, you look like this. I'm like, dude, I'm terrified. Terrified <laughs> of motorcycles. I'm not getting on a fucking motorcycle. Yeah. That's no, dude. That's not me. You yeah. know, <laughs> but yeah. I think that's what it, you know. That's just what it comes down to. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I agree. I think that, like, first of all, anybody that has shame in anything that they actually like or are good at or are passionate about, like, if you have shame over anything you're passionate about, like, you need to drop that immediately. Right. Like, that's not any way to live your life. And if there are people around you that don't get it, like, I've always thought that that's on them for not mm -hmm. getting it. Like. You, I, it's, you, it's you, true. I don't, I don't know what a guilty pleasure is, right? Like, right, yeah. Let's talk about guilty pleasures, right? And, uh, you know, to like segue into music, right? I'm like, man, that's a guilty pleasure. That song. I'm like, listen, I love, fucking love pop music. Mm -hmm. Love pop music. Pop music is the only way for a person that likes rock and roll to create songs that people like. Or you would just sit there and write riffs all day, you know? Like <laughs> it's it so it never made never really made sense to me the I because a guilty pleasure is really just being terrified of admitting that you like something. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think I was like uh probably nineteen ish. I was like in college and like Avril Levine came out. I started listening to mm. Avril Levine and I was like, I think I like this ironically. <laughs> And then I was listening to it right. more and I was like, no, it's not ironically. I just like this. And I have like, I just, like and I need to make a choice right now. Am I okay with me and the fact that I'm into this or am I not? Right. And if I'm not like, who am I trying to impress? So it was like, from that point on, it was like, no, like, I got to listen to me. I like this. This is great. This is fantastic stuff. A hundred percent, man. I am obsessed with Lady Gaga. I love Lady Gaga. I think Lady Gaga is probably the best um songwriter entertainer of our generation and i don't think people really realize that they always compare her to madonna i'm like she's not and nothing not to take away from madonna but it's like lady gaga man i she's a songwriter she she's she creates her music mm -hmm. she's not like a frank sinatra type pop star where there's a team of writers that are just handing her stuff she created this whole thing and she knows how to kind of ebb and flow through, you know, the trends and knows when to strike and pull back. And it's a really like, it's a really unique way of doing what I do for a living, which is play music and try to make a living doing it because she knows when to pull back. She knows when to strip it all down and bring it back. And it's, I, I have a lot of respect for her and I enjoy her music and there's nothing not guilty or ironic about it right it's just, right i don't know i just like it yeah yeah and also like i'm the same way because there's there's a, a really unique thing about lady gaga which is like in this 
completely manufactured world of pop music. Like these are like mm. creations most of the time. There's just this, she's oddly self-made. Like the whole right. character and the whole skill set and everything, it's like her creation. This was stuff that like the root of it is stuff she was doing in like New York clubs because right. she thought it was cool. Like it's not like they found this girl and like turned her into this pop creation. Like she was, she was doing it. So check this out about Lady Gaga. I don't, I don't, I don't know if people realize this. If you look at her body of work, it's really impressive. If you go back to the first single, and that what is it like a paparazzi or just dance just dance, whatever, yeah, you're right. Which is an incredible pop song. That's what she put out first. Very, very clean. Um, the other, the other music around that time was like TikTok from um kesha what's her kesha yeah. like that stuff is bigger time right so what she, she just kind of slipped right in there didn't make too much noise just like this is a good club song right and then people she got in the door and what she did when she was in which just completely blew the hinges right off yeah yeah because if you listen to like like paparazzi is such an atypical like it's almost like got this Broadway quality to it, like this this theatrical way of presenting. Like paparazzi is so it's I think pretty far off the beaten path of what was going on in pop music at the time. But you're right, like just dance comes out and it sounds like it's just like, oh, this is just a good dance song. And then one and then it's like it becomes this pop hit and it's like, Well, I got this one for you, and I got that one for you, and I got that one for you. And by the time like bad romance comes out, it's just the game's over. Right, but by the time you turn around, Lady Gaga has become a like, fashion icon. Yeah. A, just a creative genius, man. Like, it's it's pretty cool, too, because I didn't realize it, obviously, at the time. But then I, I kind of saw her story, you know, before, before she was trying to get there. And she was trying to she was trying to do it like that New York club scene, you know, with the piano and singer songwriter. And it wasn't, she wasn't getting anywhere with it. So she's like, you know what? Screw it. Yeah. Give them what they want. And I'm going to do whatever the hell I want. Right. And then once you're <laughs> in, you're in. But yeah, you know, and I, I, I think that that's like the story too, like getting back to wrestling of like our favorite wrestlers are, you see through whatever character they're portraying, wherever they are, like you can, you, you see through that and see that this is not about the character that was given to them. This is not about the instructions that they're following. The reason that this person clicks in on this level and the reason this superstar makes me feel a certain way is because that's that's them. Like, I see them through what they're doing. They're the ones creating this. They're the ones telling the story in the ring. They're the ones, they're not just following a directive. Uh, right. and, and I think if you go through, like, I mean, all the greats, you can you can kind of you can kind of see that everyone kind of after the Hogan era, you see that like these are people that kind of built it because really every every star that they've tried to make themselves after the Hogan era hasn't really clicked. The stars that really click are the ones where you're like, oh, that's really them. Even John Cena. Like, at first, it mm -hmm. felt like it was a creation. And it took right. years and years and years and years of all of us to be like, 
I got so much respect for John Cena. That's the real dude. Like, this is the guy who's real. He cares. Like, he loves this business. Like, we love this business. He's not lying. He's not a creation. He's the man. Like, it took us so right. long to get there. But we got there because we like to see, you know, the, the, these, the, it's the real deal when we're watching it. Well, you know, it's funny, man. I've got a, I got a story about I'm a, a really, really good friend of mine um, is MVP. Um, oh, yeah. Actually, me and MVP are in the process of doing a music project together. Well, that's, um, that's awesome. Because I know MVP has been like into music forever, but like a, a lot MVP in terms of being a music fan and like what he wants to do has such a, an array of interests. Like he loves hardcore he loves like a, a ton of different stuff that you just you wouldn't expect. Like I I, I love that. Guy. Yeah, yeah. And that's where I think people, if they don't know, they don't know him or, or whatnot, they'd be like, "What are what are they gonna do together?" And exactly, like his favorite music is Bad Brains. And, yeah, you know, like all that New York hardcore stuff. And that's what we're going after. We're doing some. We're gonna be doing some like interesting, interesting out of the box stuff that I don't think people are going to expect from him. But um. I've got a good story about him it, for exactly what you're talking about. Um, I think in pro wrestling, once once some of these guys are literally just given the microphone and given the opportunity, they will always rise to the occasion. Like, look at what he's done in the past year. And oh. I'm not just saying because he's a good friend of mine. No. The dude has literally, literally put that entire company more or less on his back from going in and being a commentator to a manager to the idea of the hurt business and the hurt business. I mean, I, I don't want to kind of break that fourth wall too much for him, but I know for a fact that the idea of the hurt business, he was already doing that when he was in TNA and he was bummed out, man, when that, when that plug was pulled, um, with those guys and he had, he was doing some great stuff there he was probably doing the best stuff that tna at the time was doing in years and that plug was pulled and he was like you know what i'm done and and he would you know for the for the next couple of years you know he was kind of it seemed like figuring out you know what when the when the end was was coming and <laughs> to be able to go into royal rumble last year have his moment with Brock really, really only for a son and then sign a deal to kind of be a backstage uh, producer to where he is today. It's remarkable. And that, uh, but that's the point of, of what you're saying is, is some of these guys, man, if you literally just give them an inch, they'll blow the door wide open and they'll show. And, you know, I mean, you hear it all the time as wrestling fans, all the greats are themselves dialed up to 10 or 11 or whatever. But it's true. I mean, I know MVP very well. That dude is who you're seeing on TV. That's who he is. Yeah. You know him as well. It's, you know, it's, um, it's impressive, man. And, and I'm sure that's what Steve Austin was. I'm sure that's what the rock is. You know, these, these guys have just such, such like unbelievable charisma that, and confidence too there's this but there's this like bizarre confidence that professional wrestlers have that nobody else has in entertainment i don't care 
what anybody says. And I'll go to bat for pro wrestling all the time when it comes to this as like pure entertainment. Because I know, you know, I, I, I've, I've known just actors. I've known just musicians. And something about like pro wrestlers that do it well, they somehow put everything in a little compartment in their brain and just go full throttle at all times like it's it's crazy man like i said like i'm only good at a few things like a lot of these guys are really good at every piece of entertainment and they never they don't get enough credit yeah well because people don't understand like how those shows are actually made and i think that you're 100 percent right and the reason that they have that confidence and the confidence in themselves is because they know that the you don't you the only way you can be successful in wwe is if you're able to turn it on with a second's notice with no idea what you're doing. Like there are times in WWE where you're told in your ear as you're doing it, we're changing everything. Like we were working on something all day. We're halfway through the thing. And it's like, hey, that thing that we were working on all day, we're doing something different. Here's what we're doing right now. And it's happening right now. And it's like, you have to be able to pull it off in a way that nobody watching knows that anything else was ever planned. And I've watched that. Pro that's just it's not unique. It's the process that is right. every day. Like that is that is what good WWE superstars are trained to do. So it's like when they get into other areas of entertainment, I don't think people realize that. Yeah, like I've been trained to the point that and I'm speaking, you know, this is them talking that they've been trained to the point that you can throw anything at them and that moment they're going to be able to pull off what you need. And I mean, you're, you're hundred percent right about MVP like this, this hurt business stuff. I interviewed years ago. I interviewed, uh, it was MVP, Loki, Samoa Joe and homicide in studio all oh. at once. Steve Mack set it up. And he was like, Hey, these guys want to do an interview all together. And I think it'd be cool. I was like, yeah, like, yes, those four together. <laughs> And MVP was the one who kind of put forward. He was like, we're the Wu-Tang of wrestling. Like, this is us. And then I saw the Beatdown Clan show up on TNA pretty soon after that. And I was like, oh, shit. Like, he was – he that's what this was. Like, he planted right. the seeds for a group like that in that interview. Then he showed up to TNA, and he did it. And I'm like, that's – like, he's doing it. And then the yeah. Hurt Business is the evolution of that. Like, I look at that, and I'm like, this is what this guy was planning a decade ago – or, Dude. you know, however long ago it was when he was sitting in studio with me and I've, I'm, I'm with you a hundred percent. I marvel every time MVP is on TV when I watch, because I know the same journey that you're talking about. I mean, this guy literally was only signed to do a match in the rumble. And the, I mean, the same thing Carlito had this year, that's what MVP was signed to do a match in the rumble. And then a, a fun thing for the night after the rumble. And that's it. And then it was like, Hey, want to be a producer? Hey, let's do a let's do a, a an MVP interview segment just for fun. Hey, you want to do commentary on main event? Hey, you want to manage this guy? Hey, you want to manage and wrestle? And it's like every time that guy gets a chance to go up to the plate, he just knocks a home run. And he's doing it. He was doing it at a time. I mean, let's be honest. When you go back and you watch what wrestling was six months ago, seven eight months ago, when it was when it was still in the performance center. And there was nobody there. I think the Hurt Business and Bailey and Sasha Banks were like the two acts that were holding the company up. 
hundred percent. And you know, I, I, I kind of, I feel for uh, Drew McIntyre. Yeah, he's great. In, in the, you know, it's, it's such a, it's such a bummer because he's, he's always going to be known as like the COVID champion, right? Like yeah. this idea that, I mean, I'd love to see him at, at Mania this year to kind of at least get something under his belt where he could perform in front of some sort of humans. Yeah. <laughs> but, well, well um, that, that's, a good, yeah, you know, that's a good question. Uh, Cause you're such a fan. Like I'm very curious because for me, when I watch Bobby Lashley win the title on Monday, I feel like me and I mean, I think a lot of the fans that are watching now are fans that have been around for a while. And so like they're fans that have been on the journey with Lashley and like know that he was brought in as one of these guys with all the potential and never quite reached his potential. And we also most of us know that he went to TNA and had some of the best stuff. He had better. He was better in TNA than he was for his first run in WWE. And like to see a guy at this stage in his career, like at his age come back and be at his best, not only in terms of the way he looks, but in terms of the way he performs and in terms of the way he portrays the character. Like, this is the best Bobby Lashley has ever been. And, like, I don't know, man. You saw him win the title, and it felt good as a fan. Like, you felt like, yes. It felt right. It felt right. And you were like, this guy deserves it. I want this guy to be the champion. So, you know, one level deeper, it's like, you're right. There's another feeling that we have where we're like, we'd love to have Drew McIntyre get that moment at WrestleMania. But as right. a fan, what do you want Drew McIntyre's moment enough that you want Bobby Lashley to lose the title? Or have we gotten to a point where it's like, you know what? I love Drew, but I want to see I, I want to see Bobby leave WrestleMania yeah. with the championship. I'm I'm with you, man. And and it's funny because I think, honestly, going back to MVP, MVP is that kind of guy that um, he sees 10 steps ahead, right? Mm -hmm. And understanding, like, the imagery behind what what the Hurt Business is, like, just down to him wearing, uh, rocking a cane. You know, like Uh, little uh, little things like that. Getting off the crutch and going to the cane. Like, it's so, it's like... I know him and I know he was, he was like, no, I need a cane. I need, you know, I need a cane, I need a cane no matter what. By the way, like that cane, just that cane just took it from, oh man, he got a knee injury at this point in his career. That sucks to, this is even better. Now he's got a cane. He's better now. (laughs) I know. I know. It's, it's wild, dude. So I think when you have a guy like Bobby, Bobby Lashley is so unbelievably talented and is a physical specimen and all, all of this like obvious stuff that's going on but he also has this he's in this amazing situation with all these like electric guys around him right now that it is man it's it's Kofi you know yeah two years yeah and um and I say that because there's that like group element that they're able to feed off of each other which is really important right now in like this COVID era of um, of watching pro wrestling. And that's why I feel for Drew because Drew doesn't have anybody to bounce anything off. Yeah. And you also believe in everybody in the group, right? Like you love, you don't right. love just Kofi. You love New Day. And like as a fan, like even if the Hurt Business, I fully believe that if there were audiences in the crowd, there's no way they would have been able to keep the Hurt Business heels. 
Like, no, no way. They would have, over the summer, they would have turned babyface by now because it, it, you just can't. They're the coolest thing on, on the show. Yeah. But I think that when you look at who's in that group, too, it's like we all can recognize, even if we don't know the depth to it, I think mm -hmm. any real fan can recognize MVP is playing at another level right now. Bobby yeah. Lashley is playing at another level right now. We finally are getting something out of Shelton Benjamin. Like we, we've heard right. how talented this guy is for so long and we've kind of seen glimpses of it, but he's never ever reached his potential. We're finally seeing this out of Shelton Benjamin and even Cedric Alexander. Like you're watching, it wasn't that long ago that you're watching Cedric Alexander kind of disappear from raw. And as a fan, you're like, I wish that guy would get a shot. Like that guy is so good. So now you're seeing Cedric Alexander play at that level. And like, you want the Hurt Business to succeed. You want the Hurt Business to have all the titles. Like you want right. the picture that we have now, I feel like it's the picture that fans actually want. Right, right. I mean, they're feeding off of each other, which is, I think it, I think what happens um, in any sort of faction, you understand it very fast whether it works or it doesn't work right yep there's there possibly there there may be um a weak link um in a lot of these factions yeah. and that's usually when they they fall apart really fast when you're talking about like the hurt business you're talking about the shield i mean you're talking about new day these are they're on a different level and i think at the end of the day the hurt business coming out of this covid this COVID lockdown era of professional wrestling um, going into possibly, hopefully in the next six months, really being able to have open arenas. It, we might, we might see something that we didn't really expect because people are, they're going to, they're going to fucking explode, man. They're going to explode. You have, you have an arena filled with people that have been watching these four guys just tear it up for the last year. And finally, they can let loose. I mean, yeah, I'm I, I'm interested to see. I'm just interested to see uh, WrestleMania. Yeah, I am too. Because not only do you have that stuff going on on Raw, but then over on SmackDown and SmackDown, it's just like within the last month or two, they've turned a corner on so many guys. Like, first of all, I can't wait to hear how people react to Roman Reigns. Like, this version of Roman Reigns is just like every single week, even this week. On, on SmackDown, just his promo with Daniel Bryan, it just goosebumps good every single time. And, you and like, all these, like, you can tell every time he talks, there's, like, little bits of storytelling that, like, that little quote, that's the long-term thing. Like, him saying, him going, like, like, I don't need wrestling. Wrestling needs me. You're like, yeah, that's the story we're telling. And he goes, you need me, Brian. And I'm like, yeah, that's the story we're telling. And he goes, Paul needs me. And I'm like, that's going to come back. That's going to come that's going right? to come back later. Like, yeah. like that's and I'm just I, ju I just love it so much. So but at the same time, like as Roman is finally taking that spot as like really, truly the best wrestler in the world right now, like the most mm -hmm. the guy who my eyes are locked on more than anybody else. Cesaro has this new wind underneath him where it's like you I mean, it's the same feeling as like Lashley where you're like, finally, like this could really be happening. And like, dude. I know that some people some people love it and some people hate it. I'm in the love it category. The stuff Apollo Crews has been doing, to me, next level. I think it's so good. I feel like it's exactly what Apollo needs. Uh, like I, I love 
that Apollo Crews has this character that there are elements of truth in it that he's sinking his teeth into. And it's like, yeah, I mean, when, when now, I mean, God bless Apollo Crews, even when he was United States champion, it's like they announce he's coming out and you're like, okay, I mean, he's going to have a good match, but do you care about Apollo Crews? And like, not really, no. But now? Because that, that's, it, it was always tough with a guy like him. Um, I always, I always thought of Apollo Crews for the first like year he was on the main roster as Rocky Maivia. Yes, <laughs> yes. Like there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with it. He, I should love this guy. Everybody should love this guy, but I just don't care. I don't hate him. I just don't. Exactly. Care. You're like he's good. I oh, see God. it. I see it. I'm not gonna sit here and be like that guy should not be in WWE. It's like yeah, no, he's he's, he's incredible. <laughs> He's incredible. Look how strong that man is. He's unbelievable. And then you're like, you're like, but he's just smiling. And I don't understand why. And I don't, I don't care. And then like when hints started dropping and the Paul Heyman stuff started happening and then he comes out and he's dipping into his heritage and everything. I'm like, this is, this is real life. Like this is, this yeah. is cool. This is cool. And to the point where like, I realized that this week on SmackDown, he didn't even have a match. He just came out to the ring to cut a promo. And it's like, it's the it's a 180 from where we were before. When Apollo Cruz gets introduced, I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like everybody, like be quiet. I want to hear what he's got to say. Like I care. I care so much because there's development and progress. And I'm like, this is this is interesting now. That's the beautiful thing though about pro wrestling is that you see these talents that are just unbelievable. And you're like, it's not there yet, it's not there yet, it's not there yet. And sadly, I think just in, in life in general, you kind of have to get beaten down a bit. You have to fail a yeah. few times to kind of figure out where you fit. And I think that's exactly where he's at today. And and even a guy like Cesaro, man, like um, kind of talking about what, we, what we're talking about with the Hurt Business, where a lot of those guys, they're feeding off of each other. I think Cesaro has he's he's almost had to feed off of other people his entire career when all he needed was to be himself by yeah. himself no gimmicks not meaning like the swing and the this and the that and with Seamus and you're gonna put him here and you get like just let the guy be the guy yeah yeah you know yeah because it's like you you can give him a tearaway tuxedo you can turn him <laughs> into James Bond James you can do the bar. You can do whatever you want. But ultimately, he's one of the rare exceptions where it's like, just put him in a pair of trunks mm -hmm. and have him go out there and be like, hey, in case you guys didn't hear, I'm the best in the world and I'm so strong. And it's like, right. yeah, right. Prove it. And then he goes out there and proves it. And you're like, oh, my God, he's so strong and he's the best in the world. Like right. He's incredible. Right. And he's funny, man. Like, yeah. You know, I, I feel like a guy like uh, like a guy like Rusev, you know, when Rusev was Rusev. Yeah. Um, you started seeing that with him where there's like this, uh, I, I, I still don't really understand why, why they cut him loose when they cut him loose. Um, I feel like he was, he was starting to really come into his own, you know, yeah. after that, after the monster Rusev, you know, uh, stuff. And I think that's, that's kind of where Cesaro is. Like he's, he's finding himself and not getting hung up on the fact that um, Vince, doesn't like the way he, he does promos because it's kind of broken English or whatever that weird comment was years years back. Um, I think he's just he's he's falling into this 
organic role that um that i think he's thriving and i, and I hope i hope that he has real staying power because i don't know cesaro's got there's this vibe that i get sometimes that like i look at his character and i'm like i feel like they're gonna they're gonna let him go and right. at any at any point i feel like they're gonna cut him loose mm-hmm. and you get worried you get worried yeah man. i mean i i don't know i love i love watching that guy live he's yeah. one of my favorite favorite wrestlers to watch when you're in, when you're in the arena what what do you miss more do you miss the like big wwe type arena wrestling shows or do you miss like the smaller local new jersey independent shows because i've seen you at both i've seen you at both oh man (laughs) dude i miss everything man i miss um i miss everything i don't don't know man yeah i I would say i i miss like personally i miss playing music in big venues like that i miss playing shows in small venues like that i miss watching wrestling in small venues like that and i miss going to um you know honestly i actually don't really like going to wrestlemania so i'll be i'll be perfectly honest i think it's it's one of those things where i get too lost in all the other bullshit that's going around mm-hmm. and i usually miss the actual match matches yeah I, you know i i always find myself like trying to find a tv <laughs> yeah yeah because you don't realize like you're just it's like too much birthday like you're just over stimulated and you're like i can't because i I, like you just make this list you're like i'm gonna go to wrestlecon i'm gonna go to this indie show in the morning i'm gonna hit up access (laughs) and i'm gonna watch the cruiserweight i'm gonna do 205 live at access and i'm gonna go watch takeover i'm gonna go watch (laughs) wrestlemania but i'll be there for the pre-show and you're like you get to sunday and you're like I can't, I can't, I can't, bro. I'm going to go to hall of fame. It's going to be great. I'm going to watch Hillbilly Jim for 16 hours. It's going to be awesome. And you're just, you, yeah, you don't realize you're like fatigue has set in. And sometimes I like watching wrestling silently and quietly by myself. Most of the time. Yeah. Like there's this, there's this clip that I get made fun of and I, it started again. I only bring it up because I've kind of forgotten about it, but then WWE like tweeted it out on an anniversary or whatever i don't remember why they tweeted it out about it yeah (laughs) yeah where where it's like i I think it was uh takeover uh maybe takeover dallas maybe it was wrestlemania 32 weekend and it was it was the debut of nakamura it was nakamura versus Sami Zayn at that takeover and it's this amazing match and like people are losing their minds uh while that match is happening but i was burnt by that point like i'm doing interviews i'm trying to get as much done as humanly possible and so, like, I'm just like, I- I'm acting like I'm in like the the uh, like like I'm watching a New Japan show. Like I'm sitting there, I'm sitting there like quietly, like I'm not doing any hand gestures. I'm just sitting there like almost like sullenly, just watching the match in my seat. And like for some reason, that's the moment that uh, they decide to take a shot of the wide crowd. And like right. everybody's like going nuts, and you just see me, and people know it's me. And I'm just sitting there, just You're like just almost like bummed out, like I'm pouting. And people are like, What's wrong with you? Do you know what's going on? And I'm like, Yeah, that's that's what I look like when I'm enjoying it. That's right, right. that's me enjoying this. Leave, Leave me alone. alone. <laughs> Leave me alone and let me enjoy this. <laughs> yeah, actually, I got a question. Let me let me ask you this. Since because we've been we've been friends for years before you you even started working with WWE, has that kind of i don't want to say uh poison the water hole but <laughs> has it a bit like in terms of like seeing too much 
behind the curtain because for for example for me i've been lucky enough to like be in a few segments here and there on like with like jbl and michael cole and you know the jbl and cole show yeah yeah, yeah of course yeah uh, so like some weird like little backstage things here and there mm-hmm. and i remember going into it being terrified i was like oh my god I was like, I don't know if I want to see how the sausage is made. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's gonna if it's gonna ruin it for me, which of course it didn't. But right, right, has it for? I mean, because you're making the sausage at this point sometimes. Well, no, I mean, short answer is no. But uh, like, like I'm also like I could see where that could happen. So I, I specifically like I don't allow myself. Like I'm, I, I kind of stay conscious of like. Just go and be a fan. Like from the beginning of doing those kickoff shows, I was like, all you need to do is one. If you do one kickoff show, no one can ever take that away. Like all you need yeah. to do is go home and be like, oh my God. Like I went from being a fan to being on the kickoff show. Like it'd be great to do a hundred of them, but if you do right. one, it's you've done it. Like it's you you did it. And like so so, you know, I, I don't go in with this sort of like goal of uh, like oh i gotta make more of it and i gotta make sure they see me and i gotta make it about myself and everything i'm like no 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 no. i gotta go in i'm here because i'm such a fan so like to go in and lose that is like i'm losing the reason that i'm here so i don't i try not to pay any attention to anything that doesn't have to do with me specifically like i'll pay close attention to the stuff that i'm doing but other than that like if i have the opportunity to sit in a locker room and like get to hear JBL or Booker T or one of those guys telling stories and just laugh. Like if I can, if I can sit there and Booker T and Ray Mysterio are just shooting the shit and I can just kind of be a fly on the wall. Like no part of me is jumping in and being like, actually guys, if I could add, I'm just like, this is what you want. Like just be, just be a fly on the wall and enjoy this. And I do that. And I also just about every show, especially the big ones. I like go out. I just sneak out and go out into the crowd and, watch the show you know from some like corner like people you could find me like like you know i find some corner in the arena like when nakamura won that royal rumble i was in the audience jumping up and down with everybody else like every wrestlemania i'm in the crowd somewhere i'm always and and that's you know when edge returned at the royal rumble in 2019 in the crowd like like i always try to go like look dude it's not just oh cool i get to be on the pre-show like you got one of those all access passes. Yeah. Use it. Go out onto the floor. Go out like go watch the show. Go be a fan. And and you know, I'm in a unique position where I can I can do that. I don't have like I don't I'm I'm just I'm still just me. I'm just a fan right. who happens to be on the radio, so they let me be on a kickoff show. But it's not like anybody That's an awesome way of looking at it because uh I mean you could easily become jaded, but I think I think we've had this conversation a little bit over text where you know you're you're able to kind of pop in and out which is still nice you know it's not your yeah it's not something that will ever stress you out like oh my god i i can't get this done i got you know all right we got to go from here to here to here and then we got to go here monday and then i got to get home and fly here like you're still able to just okay cool i'm gonna fly in i'm gonna do my piece i'm gonna fly home and then go to my job job right yeah and that's really important and like you know i get super stressed out uh before the pre-shows and stuff because i don't want to let anybody down and like it still boggles my mind that anybody would ask me to do those things so like you know you get that and that's really like that's the stress of it it's like i want to do well so that the people who put me there are like 
they look good for doing that. Like, that's the whole thing. But, I mean, the beauty of it is after the pre-show, it's like I could just, just go back to being a fan. Like, just be a fan. And, like, don't worry about anything else other than the fact that you get to go to all these pay-per-views. It's amazing, you know? Yeah. Dude, you might, ha- you might have the best gig. <laughs> I'm like I, you know and that's the other thing you gotta you can't be like oh man if only i could be doing this if only i could be doing that it's like no dude yeah. like nobody else is walking out into the crowd and just being like well of course i'm in the crowd i'm a fan and yeah i guess that's true yeah you're a fan go out and dude i mean it's true I, so that's where like for me on um, you know with music um my you know my backup plan when i was a kid was to cut hair like i thought that's how i was gonna have to make money give music a shot you know um long and short obviously you know gaslight became my career and as the years kind of compiled and being on the road for so many years i think you know for myself and the rest of us it's why we really took a hiatus like it it became too much and um you know you just get you get burnt out you get tired and and all of us just kind of wanted to do something else for a bit and that's where i uh, you know i dove deep deep into you know the barbering industry and really you know i started a company where kind of actually you know a lot about a lot about that because you're at wwe with the the maestros guys yeah 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 so that's where they're the ones they're the ones who literally convinced me to grow a beard the guy who runs the maestros was like i mean i didn't realize that he tries to convince everybody to grow a beard like that's what he does every guy He's like, you know, you should, your face structure and everything. Like, but when he did it to right. me, I was He's like, like I, sell, I sell beard products. <laughs> <laughs> I'm building a customer base. But right. I, I was like, oh, right. I guess he just knows aesthetics. I should definitely grow a beard. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's where, you know, I, for me, I, you know, I would always cut my hair on the road, cut other guys and other bands and my band and whatnot. And I would set up like a little barbershop backstage. And I was like, this is this is crazy this is something that needs to be here all the time so that's where i started that we called idle hand collective and we basically we go we go you know to the nhl nhl awards and you know all sorts of music festivals backstage and we do basically do the exact you know it's funny the maestro setup they they kind of do it for a promo you know, as a promo thing with WWE mm-hmm. and, you know, give you guys beard stuff and whatnot. But that we kind of do that throughout the country and it kind of sucks, obviously, now with COVID. It's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it was nuts, man. Like when I started that, that, I was like, I need to just step away from playing music for a second, for a living, mm-hmm. because I don't want to become jaded yeah. over the whole thing, you know, over the entire from soup to nuts and i think now which is nice that's where you know after a couple of years um you know me and my guitar player from gaslight we uh we were able to kind of just you know we were like we did it we did a bunch of shows with gaslight and we were like you know what let's do something together separately from gaslight and and that's kind of where we're at now which is nice it's like a re a rejuvenated piece right now which is uh which is awesome, which the new band's called Forgivers, actually. Forgivers? Yeah, Forgivers, yeah. And um, March 12th, which is a Friday, which is, I don't know when this is coming out. Yeah, this, this, Friday. this Friday, I think, yeah, this um, Friday. We've got our first first single coming out. That's awesome. Which will be out, yeah. It'll be out on all of the uh, all the streaming sites, Spotify, wherever you get, you know, your music. YouTube, we got, we got 
the video dropping that day as well. That's, and that's great, man. Yeah, I hope that fun. I think that everybody should go and like make the first single a hit because if there's enough of us wrestling fans that are listening to the forgivers, then you guys will get to be as big as Bad Bunny. And then you <laughs> can get next year on the road to WrestleMania and maybe be in a tag team with MVP or something like that. <laughs> that would be, dude, me and MVP years ago, we had, we had an idea, like a reality show idea that I would teach him how to play guitar or bass or whatever, some instrument. He wanted, he wanted to really learn how to play bass and he would teach me how to wrestle. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then we would like showcase it and, you know, and then at the end of it, he would play a show and I would be in a wrestling match. But that that's a, the funny thing is like i never wanted to be a wrestler mm-hmm. ever i never i'm not like into the idea of like working out <laughs> I'm, not into, <laughs> I'm not into the idea of like getting hurt or any of that <laughs> yeah yeah the whole like the whole like uh you forget that you have to kind of be an athlete to be a wrestler <laughs> you know what i mean like you have to eat a certain way and 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 work out and have a lot of discipline right. and you're like well i don't want to do all that i just want to like cut a promo and jump through a table or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I was like, this is way, this is going to be way harder for me than it is for you. <laughs> you I'll, I'll show you a few chords. You can jump around stage and have fun. I'm going to have to like get in shape and. Yeah. Yeah. Get, Cause like, yeah. To do just the basics, around. just to learn how to like run the ropes and do a <laughs> flat back bump. You still kind of have to be in shape. <laughs> yeah. Nah. Like, nah, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. <laughs> Oh man. man! Yeah, exactly. All of our wrestling community, go yeah. check, go check us out. Forgivers, yeah, it's... Instagram and Forgivers Music is our Instagram, awesome. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all that good stuff. Yeah, just nice classic rock and roll. And so. There's not enough rock and roll these days. We got to support rock and roll. We got to bring it back, man. Exactly, man. I mean, that's you know, it's it's cliche to say, but it is um, it is. Rock and roll is, I don't know, it's like the heartbeat of, of music. And everybody wants to, everybody wants a piece of rock and roll, but it doesn't mm-hmm. seem like anybody wants to play rock and roll these days. <laughs> right. And it's like, yeah, I mean, you can't just, you got to maintain Being the it. the Roll Hall of Fame and not play rock and roll. It's like, right. Come on, man. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, we're getting to the point where the, it's one thing to have some people in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame that are not rock and roll. We're getting to the point where there's going to be nobody left, where it's going to be only like no rock and roll whatsoever right. going into the Hall right. of Fame because there's no new bands. Oh, my dude. So not to get all crazy and jaded about it, but I think it's like three years in a row now. Um, the Grammys haven't televised the best rock album or best rock performance or any of that because every every single time it's been like the lowest rated segment <laughs> oh come on look <laughs> it's, it's i terrible. mean people feel like well you got dave Grohl and you got jack white so you should be fine right and you're like you got, we gotta they've been around for now. like we gotta have more there's gotta be a genre <laughs> i know it's like come on dave Grohl. Dave Grohl, it, uh, people forget about that too. It's like, dude, the Foo Fighters and Dave Grohl, that was a different generation. They're still doing it. Right. But generationally, dude, he was the freaking drummer of Nirvana 30 years ago. Man. Right. Right. Like, you, know, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like Jack White, Jack White, still another another piece. I, he's, he's part of this generation. But again, like the White Stripes, they got big in 
early 2000s. Yeah, you could, the white stripes are real close to popping up on classic rock stations. Right, right, right. You know, which 25 is, years, right? Yeah, we don't, wanna, we don't want to, we don't want to admit that. It's wild to me, but like, it's true. You gotta, you gotta create the future. And I guess that's what the forgivers are doing, man. So forgivers music is all the social media, Instagram and everything. This Friday, the new, the first single from the forgivers will be out. YouTube, Spotify, Apple Music, the whole deal. Um, I know I'll be listening. I can't wait to hear it. And support this. Here's the thing. I don't want people coming around. When Alex has his project that he's going to do with MVP, I don't want people coming around like they've been around, right? So, like, you you got to get on the bandwagon now. You got to get on the Forgivers bandwagon and then go back through Alex's, you know, catalog. But start with the Forgivers. Go back through the catalog. That way you're already a fan when the MVP stuff comes out, right? That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, yeah, buddy. I appreciate yeah. that. Of course. Anytime, man. It's always good talking to you, dude. I appreciate it. Of course, brother. Love you, dog. Thanks for listening. Follow at NotSam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Rate, review, and subscribe. This has been Not Sam Wrestling. Introducing Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer. Blending the smooth, creamy nitro taste of Guinness with hints of coffee, chocolate, and caramel. Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer, your new favorite part of the day. Look for it where Guinness is sold. Must be 21 and over to purchase. Please enjoy responsibly. Diageo Beer Company, New York, New York. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.